0: Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Pete Strom Jr. had a kind of storybook childhood. His dad, Pete Strom Sr., was an influential police chief in South Carolina law enforcement. And so Pete grew up in a world where officers and agents were around all the time.
1: Went out to what they call SLED headquarters when I was a little boy. And I was around the forensics. And that was during the days when they had they'd shoot, a pistol, and uh, bales of cotton and find the bullet and then use that bullet to match the bullet found in a body. And, you know, I was around that. And I was around the bloodhounds as they track. So I kind of grew up with the law and law enforcement in my blood.
0: Today we find out how growing up with law in his blood inspired one of the youngest ever U.S. Attorney generals how the NFL crafted Pete Strom's most electric closing argument. And at what point is finally time to go and buy that flashy car you've been looking at on Instagram. That's coming up on the rankings podcast, the show where founders entrepreneurs and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Stryer. Stay with us. Pete strom, had law written into his destiny from the start. His father had an impactful legacy, so when Pete graduated from South Carolina School of Law, he knew he wanted to make his mark. He clerked for a state court judge, had a stint at the local DA's office, and did a little trial work before seeking out a mentor.
1: I'd watch the different lawyers come into court. You know, I thought I'd do some criminal offense and probably go back and prosecute later. And so I identified a particular guy, and I basically went to him and said, "I want to come to work for you." I went there a month, and I get this call. This is back in the old days of cocaine, when you know, drug dealers had a lot of money. I get this call from this guy, and he says he wants to hire me. That the feds were looking at him, you know. And I'm 27 years old, and I go meet this guy. He brings me $80,000 in cash, and it's in a duffel bag. Um, all $20 bills. And so I go meet this guy in a town about an hour south of where we are, and I bring it back to this guy who had hired me. And of course, I th- he's probably paying me $30,000 a year. And I take this big duffel bag of money and I dump it on his desk and I shake the bag, and the m- and $20 bills are falling on the desk. And I say, that's $80,000 and he opened up that big drawer on the right-hand side of his desk that everybody has, and he raked all that money into that drawer. And he reached in and he handed me $2,000, one bundle out of it, he said, here's your bonus. And that's when I knew that I wanted to be practicing by (laughs) myself.
0: Pete says he got out there pretty soon after and wound up doing criminal defense work. For one of his first cases, he was contracted to defend police officers, this is in small-town Carolina years ago in a case that has a kind of eerie foreshadowing of a lot of the big trials we see in the media today.
1: All this is very timely now, I guess, but it's a young white police officer and his partner, and they were going in one direction on a two-lane road, and there were cornfields on the other side, and a car coming in the other directions one way in excess of the speed limit. So they turn around, and they're chasing this car, and the car wrecks into a cornfield. And uh, there are four African-American men in the car and the police officer I represented was a driver. He gets out on the driver's side he's telling everybody to get out, put their hands on the car, which they all did. And uh, his partner um, was on, obviously getting out of the passenger side. And my client says, he sees the guy who was a driver push away off the car and turn toward my client's partner. And he thought he had a gun. And he shot him in the back. And the guy died. I mean, it's just tragic. And we go down there and, you know, we pre the thing with this judge. Um, he looked at me and said, you know, if, if they convict him, he's got to go to jail for a long time. He said, if you plead him guilty, I'll, you know, try to be as light as I can on him. I talked to him, he said, no, sir. He said, I didn't intend to do this. So to make a long story short, we try this case, and of course, everybody gets up there. All the other three um, passengers in the car and my guy's partner. And they all say that the guy didn't have a gun and you know, my guy just made a mistake. And my guy got up and testified you know, basically what I've just told you. And I went home and I said, I don't know what in the world I'm going to tell this jury. I mean, This is just, you know, it's horrible. And it just so happens this was the beginning of the instant replays on the NFL. And it was a playoff game, one of the first playoff games. And there was a call at the end of the game where the referee threw a flag. And then after regrouping and looking at all the video, he walked over and he picked up and he shook the flag and waved it off all seen that and I said there's my closing argument and I went the next day in front of that jury and I said I know all of y'all saw that football game yesterday and everybody shook their head yes I don't know what i had done if they'd said no and I said you know my client you know Officer Smith here just like that official who ran down that line that official had to make a call and he thought and that split second that there was a penalty and he threw that flag down. And I said, my client, pull the trigger. There's nothing more than my client would like to do than be able to walk over there and pick that flag up in this case and bring that man back to life. But he had to make that call just like that official did. And unfortunately, he didn't have the ability to do that. I graduated from law school in 84 and my dad, was so well-known in our state. Even though I was winning trials as a prosecutor and you know, as, and after I got in private practice, I'd get written up occasionally for cases I had. It was always the son of. And so, yeah, I really wanted to get my own name.
0: And what better way to make your own name than becoming the youngest U.S. Attorney General in the whole country?
1: I was so young and I had a lot of senior agents in South Carolina, a lot of them had been in New York and Chicago and other places, but they wanted their last stop to be in South Carolina because a lot of these guys like to retire down here so they can play golf. And we had some knockdown drag outs about some things because, you know, I had my view of, of how we ought to do them. And even though I was young, I've kind of imposed my, my views, but I've tried to do a good job collaborating and asking other people in the office. But, you know, what a great experience for a young lawyer to be able to do that.
0: Absolutely. So were you basically the Chuck Rhodes off billions of South Carolina? Exactly.
1: Um, in South Carolina, we just have one district. So I was the chief federal prosecutor for South Carolina, the FBI, DEA, Customs, IRS. And then on the civil side, anyway that's suing the government, I think I had authority up to a million dollars to settle cases that were brought against the government. What I did is I identified the key people in the U.S. Attorney's Office that I felt had the best judgment, and I pretty much ruled by committee. And, you know, I'd say 95% of the time we were able to reach consensus. And, you know, the thing you got to realize when you're a prosecutor and you have that kind of discretion, you might view this as a case where the guy ought to get five years. I may view the case where he ought to get 10, or I may think he ought to get a year and a day. Well, I'm the one that the president appointed to be the conscience of the of the system, so ultimately that's my decision. And what I learned and what I tried to educate other people on is, I'm not saying you're wrong in the way you view this case, but I'm sitting in this chair, not you, and so it's my view on how we how we're going to go forward.
0: So take me to back to private practice, Strom Law Firm.
1: Yeah, I come out and I just about starved my first year. You know, it it isn't like the Southern District of New York where you've got all these big law firms that can't wait to hire the former U.S. attorney. And I start back up. And what I realized, and I think this is important for every private practi- practitioner, every young lawyer to know, is being a lawyer is a little bit like a dentist. I had a big clientele. I had a good, strong client base, criminal and civil, good referrals from people, you know, they, they like me as a person, they like me as a lawyer. Well, guess what? You go somewhere for three years, they've gone to somebody else, okay? And just because you come back out into private practice, that doesn't mean that they're gonna come back to you.
0: The stakes were high for Pete. He needed to expand his reputation as a private practitioner, fill up his books with a new client base and find a way to grow the firm too. And grow it, he did. Strom Law Firm now has around 20 attorneys and staff, and they're a surprisingly diverse group because, and if you know anything about Pete Strom, you'll know this is true, everything about his firm is by design.
1: I've got everything from right-wing Trumpers to the most liberal men and women and everything in between, and I, I want to keep it that way. What I kind of quickly realize is if you get these stars people who are charismatic, at some point, they're gonna do the same thing I did. You know, they're gonna get to a place where they've got their own clients, and they're gonna leave, and they're gonna take a paralegal, and they're gonna take their cases, and it's gonna be a little awkward or not for a little while, but it's disruptive. So, I changed my model, and I decided that I was going to hire really smart people who weren't necessarily entrepreneurs, who, Weren't interested in investing in a law firm. They wanted to get the work done, and we work from eight thirty to five thirty or six. I don't want them there late at night or on the weekends, unless obviously we got something going on. And you know, of course, times have changed with everybody having a cell phone, and we're all emailing, texting all twenty four seven anyway. But I decided that I was going to hire that psychology and that's worked really well for me people have stayed and i try to pay them above market
0: of course as we know the birth of the internet changed everything for attorneys giving them a whole new way to engage with prospective clients through things like social media seo and digital marketing and pete was an early adopter
1: i became very, very interested in SEO probably 15 years ago, and I went out and bought South Carolina criminal defense lawyer with dashes in between, .com, South Carolina truck accident lawyer, South Carolina divorce lawyer, South Carolina personal injury lawyer, South Carolina defective products lawyer, probably 20 of them, and just kind of put up single web pages. And then somebody told me, well, Pete, you've got a strong law firm, but different clients want different things. So if somebody's looking for you for a DUI, they expect to go to a webpage, and they want to see a blue light and a drink and some handcuffs, because that's what they envision. And if somebody's coming to you for a nursing home case, they want to see a little old lady you know, in a wheelchair or whatever that looks like, or a med mal, or workers' comp, but those you know, if you try to do all that on one web page, then you're going to run off the nursing home case when you're trying to try the DUI case. I also, at one point, had somebody just building some small pages for me. They were buying domains that had a little bit of ranking that had been turned in and put some content on it. Probably, you know, at one point, I had 120 web pages. I probably still have... 90. And I'm not keeping up with all of them. And of course, what I'm learning is that I'm probably hurting my main page with those other pages, um, you know, just because things have changed.
0: Interestingly, Pete's affinity to SEO and online marketing in general isn't just because that's what you're expected to do these days. For him, it's a personal choice.
1: I never wanted to be on television. And I don't fault anybody that does it. I'm a huge fan of John Morgan, and John is kind enough um, to send us his cases in South Carolina. But for me in South Carolina, that's just not where I wanted to go. So I decided the Internet was the way to do it. So I have been... Dabbling in this for a long time personally, and sometimes a lot more active than others, sometimes, you know, with a lot more staff than others. And it has worked for me.
0: SEO and other types of web marketing seem like they've got some magic formula for success. But in reality, what often really drives engagement is the same thing that got Pete so much respect during his attorney general days you have to know who you are, what you stand for, and have the confidence to follow through.
1: What I believe now is that, with COVID, that nobody's watching network TV. I'm not. I'm on Netflix and Stars,
0: Disney Plus.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I know that you know my kids are doing the same thing. Young people are doing that. In the old days, people got their lawyer by word of mouth, and then it was the Yellow Pages. And good God, I, I'm embarrassed to say how much I used to pay for a double truck ad. You know in the yellow pages, but damn, you know, in November I'd get one big case and then I'd be afraid to give it up um, just because you know if I give it up, if I gonna get, um, but you know, eventually did because of what we we're doing on the internet. I think that moving more toward the internet and targeted social marketing is the future of marketing for what we do. And you can do it in so much more classy way in my opinion, than a 30-second blurb, you know, been in a wreck, need a check kind of thing. So, and I also think it's complicated as shit now. I mean, I've you know, I had Screaming Frog running earlier, you know, looking at my site map, and I do a and, you know, I'm looking for broken links. And the, the good thing about this is if you're interested in it, that all these tools are relatively cheap, because as you know, most of the SEO people are sitting around in their boxers uh, with their laptop and doing it so the tools aren't very expensive and I've got a lot of them the problem is this stuff changes all the time and unless you know you're doing ab testing and really staying on top of this it's almost impossible to manage i think you got to have if you want to do it right you got to do it you got to have somebody do it for you
0: yeah there's so much to unpack here i mean we could talk for probably hours on seo so one of the things you mentioned when I was preparing for this interview, I found many of those sites, those keyword dash domains. You know, several years ago, Google's algorithm, those worked very, very well. Now, they still work to some degree today, but they were those exact match domains, those keyword strategies were tremendous. You know, Today, what I'm seeing personally from the SEO side is now the business entity name. So if your firm name is X accident injury lawyer, you have a greater likelihood of ranking in the map pack. Unfortunately, there's Legion companies that are putting up fake listings that don't even have websites and selling leads doing this tactic. So it's a it's a big mess. But yeah, that's something I'm seeing. And all these tools you mentioned, it gives you a lot of information. But there's just so many things you can do. And one of the biggest challenges is where can I focus my efforts to have the maximum impact? Your reputation lends itself and your experience lends itself to a tremendous amount of referrals, I'm sure. Just a tremendous amount of of experience. And besides referrals, besides these SEO tactics, what are are your main methods for getting leads today? What's your main marketing strategy?
1: I'm fairly often quoted in our papers and on television about legal topics. Most lawyers are afraid to talk to the press. I'm not necessarily talking about my cases. I'm just talking about anything that's going on because obviously the courts frown on pretrial publicity. But I had the training when I was U.S. attorney to deal with the media. You know, So I talked to those guys a lot on background I, I talk with some reporters three four times a week and I'll give them a heads up on things that are going on and I'll get quoted in those articles and they don't use the word expert, but obviously that helps. I'm big on Facebook and I've got, unless I've pissed somebody off, I've got almost 5,000 friends that may drop down to 4,900 or if I, if I decide, if I say something, actually I'm kidding about that, you know, it fluctuates, but I keep around the full load. And my wife and I love to cook and love wine. And we we post all, of, not all the stuff, but a lot of the things we cook. and We post about some of the travel we do. And I've found that that's kind of front of mind for people. You know, a couple inquiries a week, sometimes more than that, somebody will say, well, and, and I don't know who my friends are. I mean, if you friend me, unless you're a hooker in L.A., I'm probably going to accept you. If it's late at night, I might accept you if you're a hooker in L.A. But um, a lot of these people will ask me about a case. Can you mind if I call you or can, you know, my son was arrested or I got a friend who was just killed in an automobile accident or whatever the the case may be. So uh, I try to do a more subtle approach on the marketing um, using Facebook. And I'm trying to do sort of qualify myself as an expert by doing the media, the free media. I'll tell you this, you know, at one point, one of the TV stations said, will you come do a seatbelt campaign, You know, buckle up? Or what I found was if I was advertising that even though it's just a public service piece, they quit asking me to speak on the record because I was an advertiser. And the marketing department at a news outlet and the news department try to remain very independent of each other. and, and, And that makes good sense, and I think that's good journalism. But I found that I was probably actually punished from the free media side when I was doing a little bit of paid stuff.
0: We actually had Cameron Harold on a few weeks ago who wrote the book, Free PR. It's a really good concept that Pete also embodies just so many benefits. And you can go back and listen to that episode in your podcast app. Now, I always think one of the best insights you can get about a person is to find out how they like to spend their money. So I asked Pete to get personal for a second. You know, what was one of the first things that you bought that made you think, you know, I've made it. How did, how did you celebrate that big win?
1: One of the guys who was a mentor to me told me that if you're a personal injury lawyer, a criminal lawyer, your clients want to see success. So before I could afford it, I was getting custom-made clothes. And as soon as I got a big hit, I bought a Mercedes. This it's before I was U.S. attorney. That was a big boy car, but... I felt like that was part of the persona. People wanted to see success. And, you know, people, they've asked me to speak many times on quoting a fee in a criminal case, which is much harder to do than a civil case. I and mean, you got to get the client in the door. And you usually sign them up on a civil case. Criminal case, you got to have the temerity to ask them for a lot of money and then convince them to pay you. And uh, what I learned was I would say, somebody come see me, and I was the youngest guy doing high level criminal work. And I just asked him, well, what did Mr. Jones quote you? And they said, well, Mr. Jones quoted us $25,000. And I look at him and I said, I couldn't possibly do that case for 25. Uh, for me to do it, it's gonna be 35,000. And they look at me and they say, you're more expensive than Mr. Jones? I said, yeah. I said, you know, you saw all those people in his waiting room? Because he had a big old practice. They said, yes, sir. I said, we had to wait a long time to see him. I said, well, I give more individualized attention than probably Mr. Jones can do. He's certainly a good lawyer. He's just as good as I am, (laughs) probably the way I would say it. But I tried to set myself apart by being more expensive, you know, because people want to buy success and that worked for me. So probably the first big thing I bought was a, a car. And then we also traveled a lot. And at the end of the year, no matter what you do, you're gonna end up with about the same amount of money, okay? And if you take one good trip or two good trips, in the year, you're gonna have about the same amount of money. It all seems just to kind of go away or you save about the same amount. So you're crazy not to enjoy your life and do some fun things and spend money because it, it really, it's not material at the end of the day.
0: Couldn't agree more, and I, I also think you're, the pricing strategy is right too, because it, it reminds me of a Seth Godin quote: "The problem with the race to the bottom is you just might win." And Pete, you've dropped just so many value bombs, and and I appreciate you sharing all all of this with us. Uh, Pete, where can our audience go to learn more about you?
1: www.stromlaw.com. That's our main page. And then of course, if you're interested in food and wine and that, um, it's uh, my Facebook is Pete Strom. And listen, if anybody ever, you know, any lawyer wants advice, feel free to pick up the phone, 803-252-4800, or obviously you can find my email. I'm always happy to help. And the last thing I'll say to lawyers I learned this a long time ago. I started going to AAJ. Used to be ATLA, Used to be the American trial Lawyers. Now it's the American Association of Justice. I started going to their conferences, both of them. Uh, I think, obviously, with COVID, we hadn't gone. But I'll tell you this. Every year that I go, I learn something new that makes me money that following year. Because we all go to our local CLEs, but it's the same lawyer doing the same CLE with a new joke and a new case. You're not learning there. When you go to the American trial lawyers, yes, everybody out there brags about how much money they make and and 99% of them are lying, but you are going to get some good tips from good lawyers and good ideas about cases.
0: Great piece of advice here from Pete, and it's really generous of him to offer help. And you know he means it. If you're an up and coming attorney and you want to talk shop, give Pete Strom a call. Take advantage of that open door policy. you've been listening to the rankings podcast i'm chris streyer a big thanks to pete Strom for joining us today you can find all the links from today's conversation in the show notes and be sure to hit subscribe to get future episodes thanks for joining us we'll see you next time